We are here with M. Barclay, director at Inflush. M. is a pastor in the United Methodist Church. Good morning, M., and thank you for being with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, just where you're from, uh, what your pronouns are, education, um, what you do in your work? Sure. Uh, so I was born and raised and lived all the way through college in Pensacola, Florida, so just south of the Alabama border. Um, and I, uh, I moved from there to Austin, Texas, where I went to seminary. I got my Master of Divinity at the Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Hmm. Um, I had studied organizational communication uh, in college when I was living in Pensacola, Florida. Um, uh, my pronouns are they, them, theirs. Uh, and I am currently living in Iowa City. I just moved here from Chicago um, almost a year ago now, and uh, I am the director of Inflesh, which is a nonprofit that offers uh, sort of progressive spiritual resources um, with particular attention to um, putting the flesh back on theology. And we talk a lot about how if it doesn't uh, matter to the flesh of the earth, the flesh of one another, to our own flesh, then... Um, our talk about God is, is really missing the point. That's a very good observation. Um, I have really appreciated and fleshed as a resource in my own ministry. Um, so thank you for the work that you're doing uh, with, with that. Um, so Ian, uh, welcome to Counterbalance. This is Richard Randolph. Um, and um, one of the things that uh, we are thinking about a lot and discussing um, on various shows here is the descriptor progressive uh, as, as it relates to, uh, to, to Christians. So we'd be really interested in your reflections on this, on this word and how we use it. Do you think it's useful? Um, how would you define it? Um, if you don't think it's useful, how do you navigate being a Christian that is introducing yourself, explaining your faith, um, uh, and differentiating your views from those of um, fundamentalist Christians who have a far greater uh, national platform? Mm. Yeah, I love this question. Um, it's complicated. <laughs> you know, I, I, I feel like, uh, yes, it's useful, and no, it's not useful. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I vacillate between using progressive or liberal or radical, and sometimes that uh, word choice is intentional. Other times it's just more of a product of, of where, what space I'm in and who I'm talking to. And all of these words mean um, both very different things and also all the same thing at the same time in ways right. that, um, you know, is, is complex. And uh, I definitely uh, think it's useful in that um, it immediately communicates something mm -hmm. um, about my approach to theology and my approach to politics. There are some ways of assuming correctly uh, a set of shared values. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that's important, especially given uh, history that you speak of and the ways in which um, both past and present fundamentalism uh, and even moderate uh, approaches to Christianity need to be differentiated. Uh, from each other and from what we're calling progressive Christianity. Uh, I, I, I do think that um, it's also equally meaningless in the sense that, you know, there's 
there's not a shared understanding of what it even means to be progressive, much less a progressive Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that shape our theology in dramatic ways? Uh, you know, does does every progress, progressive Christian have a shared approach to atonement? Certainly not. You know, and some people who are progressive um, are focused on uh, including gay people, but not yet wanting to do work around white supremacy, or some folks are anti-racist, but still extremely anti-trans. And, you know, there's just so, so many different ways to kind of live under this label that um, it's very limiting in terms of what it does communicate and still... Uh, I do think it communicates something important. But yes and no. Thank you. So one thing that Richard and I have been talking about lately, in you know, in regards to the word progressive is, you know, because it can be so complicated and say so much and yet so little at the same time, do you think it's, is it, would it be helpful to, to define and claim a definition of progressive or would that be, you know, more uh, oppressive and kind of, doctrinal than you know any of us hopefully who 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 want to be progressive would would want to be does does that make sense it does yeah and that's definitely something i'd like to chew on for a while but my immediate reaction is that uh you know penning down a definition to something uh as broad (laughs) as Mm -hmm. progressive especially in our cultural context uh is is impossible, I think, in a way that, like, we would ever uh, find significant unity around. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we would end up spending so much time and dialogue over that definition that maybe that would be the most beneficial part of it, is the conversations that need to take place around what it means to be progressive. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't know that any definition we could really ever land on would be something that would last very long without it needing to change. That's true. Uh, it's an interesting observation. I, I have to admit um, that sometimes I feel frustrated talking with people um, who are using the word and describing themselves as progressive. And um, so, I mean, I think sometimes I, I, as they're talking, I begin to wonder if they even have anything remotely hmm. close to my definition or my understanding of myself as progressive. Yeah. yeah, and this is uh, especially true, I think, uh, in the United Methodist Church right now, where yeah. people are talking about how moderates and progressives can work together. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a part of me that says, yes, we, we need to work together. But there's a part of me that says, no, when I describe myself as progressive, I, I mean something dis- distinct from moder- moderate. And yeah. I think there's some value in uh, being uh, distinct about being progressive as opposed to, say, moderate, uh, particularly in conversations right now that we're having in the United Methodist Church. Yes, I couldn't agree more. (laughs) So, um, you know, we've talked a lot about progressive, and I I think you used the word when you described, you know, your work at Enfleshed. Um, But, like, overall, I guess, how would you... Um, d- define yourself or, um, you know, labels can be can be dangerous, but I guess how would you label your ministry? Um, how, how would you describe your, your theology, um, if, mm-hmm. if, you, if you would? Yeah. Um, I hate to have to pick any kind of singular word because they, right. they all fall short. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I do most often say progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I feel more... Uh, 
accurately described with with radical, but I, I I'm always hesitant to use that only because I think it has a kind of air, presumptuous air to it in a way that I I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I do like about the word radical, doing you know radical theology, um, is you know radical meaning getting to the roots of of matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then radical, uh, signifying a kind of politic that understands resistance as an inherent part um, of living faithfully, uh, and um, also kind of communicates an inherent uh, struggle with systems. Right? Like the, if we have a radical stance against something, then um, or for something, uh, then we're typically reorienting ourselves. Uh, uh, ideally, like kind of breaking through systems and dreaming of different ways of being rather than just tweaking the systems we have. And I would definitely relate most to that kind of approach, even if the word is uh, challenging to use sometimes. Yeah. yeah. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. I appreciate that definition. Right. That's, but, that's very helpful. Thank yeah, you. it is. Um, while we're talking about terms, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the term um, uh, queer. Um, would you mind talking with our listeners about how the term queer, which has um, for most of my life been considered derogatory, how now that is being used uh, in the LGBTQ plus communities? And um, what does a what does a queer theology look like to you? Em? Yeah, yeah, Ugh, I could talk about the word queer all day. There's so much history there, and there's so much to be sensitive about. Um, it, it certainly uh, has a long history of a lot of damage and continues to do damage um, in many ways still. Uh, but, you know, back in the 80s, uh, uh, during the AIDS crisis, um, a lot of activists started uh, taking back the word queer. And, you know, originally queer was a way to call people strange and abnormal and freakish and mean strange. Uh, and so... Uh, in the 80s, people started saying, gay folks and bi folks and trans folks started saying, you know what, yeah, actually we are strange. Um, if, according to your understanding of what it means to love uh, and what it means to live our genders in this world, um, we don't fit that. And so, yeah, we're strange and that's actually awesome. <laughs> you know, and, and taking this weapon and, and um, you know, as Joseph in scripture said, like what you intend for evil, God has intended for good. And I, I think the queer movement has really um, been embodying that with with our ownership of the word queer um, and how uh, in the past, it's got some new meanings now, but in the past, when it was originally being reclaimed, it was a way to resist the politics that um, you know were harming queer people. It was a way of saying like, we're not gonna just try to become like straight people and cisgender people. We're gonna actually uh, demand the right to live uh, in our own strangeness. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's the political history is not trying to become like the rest, uh, but to own our own uh, queerness as its own gift. Um, and then I think in the last 10 years, especially um, among the, the the LGBTQ movement, um, it has also become a way of um, holding uh, the vast array of sexual orientations and um, to a lesser extent, but also gender identities um, that 
that are. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of, you know, queerness as a concept, as a way, again, of stranging things, of challenging or questioning the boundaries of um, assumed ideas or practices or ways of being. Um, and so to, to use queer as an umbrella is a way to hold space for identities and ways of being in the world um, that are not easily summed up. Mm-hmm. Um, so for folks that might not be able to describe themselves accurately as just gay or a lesbian or a bi, queerness is a way of saying, like, I'm, my sexual orientation or my gender is strange in comparison to straight or cis people, um, and it's not yet defined well by those other terms. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and so for me, uh, queer theology uh, is a way of talking about uh the divine and our experiences of the divine, what it means to be, um, what it means to be human, and what it means to be creaturely, with the lens of strangeness in particular. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I I love to think about God as the strange one, mm-hmm. um, and what that has to teach us, and how that might shape our life. And right now, I'm really invested in the the stranging kind of theology. Um, and how it challenges us to uh, live differently in relationship to um, systems of domination and to understand uh, resistance as a kind of strangeness in the world, Uh, Mm -hmm. refusing to just go along with what's normal when Mm -hmm. what is normal is destructive. Um, And so uh, faithfulness as like a set of strange practices, Mm -hmm. um, a set of... uh, claiming strangeness in our relationship to God, who is the strangest of all, uh, is one way to consider uh, queer theology. Yeah. Yeah. So that being said, um, I guess, would you articulate that, that kind of that overall stranging uh, of God and and of our relationships as, as the biggest way in which queer theology influences your faith overall, or would you articulate, um, that kind of influence in a, in a different way? Hmm. Um, it's definitely a significant way. Uh, I think the other, the other way that queer theology influences me in particular, my understanding of God and the world, um, is just that, uh, queerness again evades like any kind of firm final definition. Mm Mm-hmm. Queerness, you know, denotes a kind of always ever-changing, and I think that that's so important for um, how we understand ourselves um, as disciples, as beings, um, how we understand the role of the church in the world. It should always be changing um, how we understand our uh, our experience of God in the world. All of these things, like once we uh, pen a final firm definition, uh, we're already closing off possibilities and realities um, that that need not be closed off. Um, yeah. That makes our question about a definition for progressive uh, more interesting <laughs> now, that, yeah, yeah. now that you say that. Uh, your answer makes more sense um, than it already did. Um, uh, M, what do you think the Christian community just generically as a whole stands to gain from embracing a, a, a queer theology? Um, new possibilities for being. Um, I think one of the gifts that queer people offer to the church and to the world is, is a kind of 
uh, embodied glimpse of uh, what's possible when the world says it's not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we need so much of that today. We need so much of that in the church. Um, we need ways to break open our imagination um, and to allow God to um, uh, just help us get out of the cycles that we are in, both with, specifically in the church, but also just um, culturally, the cycles that are so destructive. And I think queerness, um, yeah, helps us see things differently, things that have always been, but we need some new perspective on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. I think, so, you know, with with that and, uh, you know, knowing about some of your work within Fleshed, um, you know, I, I really appreciate the way in which you articulate this, this different sort of theology in a very, as you said, radical perspective. Um, usually mostly in ways that I can, can share with my congregation. Um, and I'm curious, you know, as you've worked in the church, have you always been able um, to, to, you know, speak those truths, to speak about about queerness and about liberation uh, for marginalized peoples? Or um, has that been challenging with, with certain congregations or, or, or groups? Yeah, definitely not always. I mean, I myself was fundamentalist, um, mm-hmm. again, for like most of my young life. And so I've had to do so much unlearning. Mm-hmm. Um, before I can even get to this place. But um, I think, you know, both because of my theology being more liberation focused, but also having a queer and trans identity um, and being somebody who's advocating for changing a Methodist church, uh, it's, it is the case now that most of the churches that would ever invite me into their space mm-hmm. are the ones who are wanting uh, that kind of theology, right? right. <laughs> Not very often that right. those who have a more moderate theology are going to ask me to come and speak. That's just not, um, that's not the case. And, and I grieve that in the sense that um, there was a time where I was able to, um, yeah, we all have different, like, different circles that we get to influence, right? Mm-hmm. And so right. there's a loss and, uh, you know, claiming a more liberative theology and that, that, it won't be welcome in other places anymore. Uh, but I have chosen to kind of live in this space because there's just, I don't think I have experienced that there is not enough, uh, resources and conversations and, um, forces advocating for more liberative approach to God and community. Um, and so, uh, I, I have, you know, just kind of embraced that this is where, um, this is where my gifts reside currently and that there are people who um, are having the same longings and desires. And uh, if it doesn't work for, for others, then there are other resources for those folks. Right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, Em, I have just, um, just a question this thinking about our listeners, um, some of whom will be hearing about uh, queer theology for the first time. Um, and, and this is such a Richard question, I'm just going to have to say. Um, for our listeners, if there was one or two books 
on queer theology. You know, that because of this interview, they're just intrigued and they want to find out more. Uh, we'll make sure to get your your enfleshed uh, website up on our Facebook page in the next in the next day or two, so that listeners can 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 check that out. But um, what would be um, a couple of great uh, titles that you could recommend for um, for for those of us who'd like to read more about queer theology and uh, but just don't know where where to begin? Yes, excellent question, and I have two books that I would love to share about. Uh, the first is called Queer Virtue uh, by Reverend Liz Edmond. She's a queer Episcopal priest. And uh, that book is all about what the church can gain, what the church has to gain from recognizing the queerness of Christianity that has always been. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it. Um, and then the second is called Transforming the Bible and the Lives of Transgender Christians by Austin Hartke. And uh, he is a, a young trans guy, and he includes a number of different trans voices in that book. And it's just, uh, it is the best resource uh, for doing theology from a trans perspective uh, that is currently available, you know, like outside of the academy. It is beautiful and wonderful. Um, and these two books are just a great place to start. Great. Thank you. Queer Virtues and Transforming the Bible in the Lives of, what was the rest of the title, Christian? Uh, So it's Transforming, colon, the Bible and the Lives of Transgender Christians. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for those recommendations. Um, You also create some resources yourself. Um, Mm. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about what you're working on, uh, you mentioned in flesh, but if there's anything else that you're working on, we'd love to hear about that too. Uh, yeah, so in flesh is, is certainly the bulk of my ministry. Uh, we do weekly uh, liturgies and sermon uh, sermon suggestions based on the lectionary. It's called Liturgy That Matters. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of uh, preaching and teaching around the country. Always excited to visit with uh, communities and congregations who either. Uh, want to talk more about queer theology, want to understand better how they can be more trans-inclusive uh, in their congregations, um, or are curious about what it even means to do uh, theology from a liberative perspective. I love having those kinds of conversations with people. And then I also um, do a lot of pastoral care and consulting um, specifically around the needs and concerns of uh, queer and trans Christians or um uh, loved ones of mm-hmm. queer and trans Christians. Um, so yeah, that's part of that's part of what we do, and um, the bulk of what I spend my time on each day. Yeah, awesome. wonderful. Um, em, if you could encourage um, liberal Christians within and outside of the church to do one thing, what would it be? One thing. It's so hard. <laughs> or two. We're, we're easy here. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I think, you know, one thing, given the sort of extreme time we find ourselves in today, is mm-hmm. just that I would encourage everyone, and I'm certainly trying to do this myself, to, to engage in some deep spiritual reflection over what risk we're willing to take for one another, mm-hmm. um, to to take for the earth, and to take for honestly, like the integrity of our own souls living in this time. Um, to do some personal reflection on that, and then 
to pray and to band together and to dream together and discern how um, how we in in even if it's just two or three, uh, you know, can can get together and really live into just one radically alternative practice of love or courage or justice together at a local level. Mm-hmm. Um, to just find one way uh, to push ourselves in our comfort zones um, in a way that can manifest uh, as something different that we need right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. That's, that's really inspiring. Uh, again, you've been listening to Counterbalance here on KZUM Radio. We are with M. Barclay, director at Enfleshed, uh, coming to the end of our interview as they encourage us um, to reflect um, and then to act um, in ways that are, that are radically different and, and life-giving um, in the time that we find ourselves in. M., thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah, such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you. This has been a fascinating conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully we can have um, another conversation in the future. Yeah. Well, thanks. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Take care. All right, you too. Welcome back to Counterbalance Progressive Christian Perspectives on KZUM. Along with Beth Minhusen, I am Richard Randolph, your co-host for Counterbalance Beth and I are both pastors at Christ Connection Point United Methodist Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, one church in two locations with a shared commitment to acting inclusively, seeking God, serving others, and doing justice. At Christ Connection Point, we strive to welcome and include and affirm all persons, regardless of their ethnicity, economic class, or sexual orientation. We believe that all persons are created in the image of God, that we're children of God, and loved by God for who we are. Uh, Today we've been um, uh, interviewing M. Barclay. Uh, M. is um, an ordained uh, deacon in the United Methodist uh, denomination. Uh, uh, M. is uh, a, a trans... Transgender, non-binary individual. Transgender, non-binary individual. Um, And also, uh, well, we've been talking about uh, queer theology, which may be uh, a new form of of thinking about God uh, for many of our listeners. Um, uh, But I really really enjoyed that uh, interview with them and uh, hope that we can uh, continue that uh, conversation with her live or with them live sometime. but uh, joining me today also, of course, is uh, Beth Menhusen. Beth, how are you t- this morning? Well, I'm a little tired, but I'm here. <laughs> Happy to be here. Um, and we would love to hear from our listeners as well this morning, um, whether you're tired or full of energy or interested or confused. Um, you can contact us by calling the radio station here at 402 474 5086 if you have a comment or question. And you can also reach us on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, at Facebook, we are uh, Counterbalance. Counterbalance KZUM. Yep. And on Twitter, we are CB Radio KZUM. So feel free to reach out to us this morning if you have a question or a comment uh, about what we're talking about. That's right. We'd love to hear from, from everyone. So uh, in the interview, Beth, you uh, mentioned at the, at the very beginning that you uh, had found uh, M. Barclay's uh, Enfleshed Resources very helpful for your own ministry. Could you share a little bit about 
uh, about those resources with uh, with our listeners and about about how you've used them. Yeah, so uh, you can find a lot of M's work on their website in fleshed.com. Um, and th- there's a lot of resources. Many are free. Um, and there's also a subscription that you can that you can pay for each month um, if you so choose. But some of the things that uh, that M provides include liturgies for churches. So that means like, call to worships, unison prayers, that kind of thing. They also provide um, some weekly reflections about uh, that week's scripture based on the Revised Common Lectionary. Um, and so if, if y'all don't know, something that, that preachers do when they go to preach on a Sunday morning is look at resources. We don't just come up with all of it out of our heads usually, unless you're Richard, maybe he does. <laughs> but we look at commentaries. <laughs> no, no, you know, I, I look at commentaries I and I uh, use a lot of resources. Please, yeah. that hurt, Beth. I'm sorry. I was just implying, trying to imply that you're just so brilliant. You, oh. don't, you don't need anybody okay. else's help. Nice recovery. Uh-huh. Um, but so, 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 <laughs> Almost any preacher uses a lot of resources, commentaries, articles, um, stories when they go to write a sermon. And M provides um, a a, a liberationist, uh, queer perspective on that week's um, on that week's passage of scripture. And so that's something that I read when I, before I write my sermon. Um, I often look at the the worship elements that they suggest, such as, you know, the call to worship or prayer um, and, and reflect on that along with other resources um, before I go to prepare a service. Um, some of the free things that are on the website um, include s- sort of uh, some, some rethought traditional things um, such as a, a, a new, not a new, but a kind of, I guess, a queered 10 commandments. Uh, which I really like. I, I printed and put up at Connection Point, um, as well as a, a Lord's Prayer for the 21st century. Um, so just really rethinking some things in a in a in a kind of a lyrical um, and progressive way, with with more modern language perhaps than we hear in traditional worship services. Do you have a, an example like of the Ten Commandments? I mean, I th- I'm thinking. You know, the Ten Commandments are from the Bible. The Lord's yeah. Prayer is from the Bible. Uh-huh. Um, so how, how how has that been? Yeah, so let me pull up um, the like an example of the Ten Commandments. And really, so it's just, um, just like we have different translations of the Bible mm-hmm. um, that are written at different points in history by different people. Um, the way I see this. So you're not saying that uh, M is just sort of like, Tossed out the ten commandments no, 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 no. from the Bible and said, no. "Yeah, well, I got ten. We've got new better ones. ones." No, yeah. no. Okay, so they call it the Ten Commandments remix. Um, and so what they've done is, um, she they talked in the in the interview about uh, how they describe themselves perhaps as radical at different points, and that's right. getting at the root of of problems or. or Issues okay. and what they're doing with the Ten Commandments remix, I think, is really getting at the root of what these really old biblical laws are meaning. Okay, um, well, that, that sounds and, good. Yeah, in ways that help me understand it better and apply it to my life, at least. Um, so, when you're getting at the root, you're trying to really understand in a deep way yeah. the Bible. It's not that you're setting it aside. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, there is one of the Ten Commandments says that 
um, you know, we should not have false idols, which if you are someone who's never been to church um, or doesn't know uh, about the history of idolatry in the, in the Bible, right. that can make like no sense. Um, and so M kind of remixed that and rewords it as, do not forget that any given image of God is only a glimpse. So that okay. helps me understand that better. I think it would help someone who's less biblically literate understand it better. Um, another one of the Ten Commandments says, you know, don't use God's name in vain, I think, you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so they say, don't use God's name to do harm, which okay. um, isn't, isn't just another way of saying it. Um, yeah. So things, things like that, you know, we have one that says honor our fathers and mothers. Um, they reword that as care for those who have cared for you. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think. So be not just your biological mom or Right. Dad. Yeah. Cause some mm -hmm. of us don't even have relationships with our biological mom or dad. And so I think, um, they really, yeah, they, they have remixed the 10 commandments in a way I think that kind of broadens them and gets to the root of just, and it's not that they're rewriting them. I don't think, it's like I said, it's that they're helping us think about them in a different way for a modern context. Um, right. If you go back to the, the commandment about idolatry, I think um, in its original context, that commandment referred to false idols to God, to other gods, because mm -hmm. most other, other religions around, uh, around the Hebrew people had idols right. or statues. Mm -hmm. And which they worshiped. And so that's a commandment to, to, um, to remain true to, to God and, and to worship God and God, God alone. And of course, you know, we, we don't, we don't do that so much now, although I would say we have other idols, right, uh, for agree. example, materialism is clearly a, I think an idol, a false God, which many people, uh, worship at least some of the time. And uh, so that that would be another way of rethinking. Well, what does this actually mean in our in our time in our context? Right. Yeah. So I just think a lot of um, M's resources on Unfleshed are you know insightful and, and thought provoking and mm -hmm. you know, good material to check out. Um, Absolutely. Certainly, uh, coming from that that liberationist and that queer perspective. Um, right. And Richard, I know liberation theology is something that has been influential um, in your life. Absolutely. And, yes. you know, we were talking about it and I think we said, you know, in some ways queer theology is, uh, you know, a branch of liberationist theology. Right. Um, and so I think that's the best way to categorize it. it. But I have to admit, I haven't done much reading. One of the reasons I asked him about, about books to read mm -hmm. is that I need to do more re reading in this area. So, mm -hmm. uh, but from my, my initial, you know, take on this and, and talking with them, I would categorize uh, a core theology as what is a strand of liberation theology. And, and Richard, you know, we've talked about liberation theology, but could you articulate that just a little bit for our listeners and flesh yeah. that out for us? Cause Perhaps it'd be good to give a little bit of background to this to this topic or this not topic this category of liberation theology, um, and I want to just speak historically. So, liberation theology uh, grew um, in the 1970s. It, it emerged, and it emerged originally in Latin America. Uh, the the first book on liberation theology that was written was written by uh, Gustavo Gutierrez called A Theology of, of Liberation. 
Um, Gutierrez was a Latin American priest, uh, Catholic priest. Um, he was um, identified in his in his uh, early theological training in seminary in Latin America as someone who had a really keen theological mind and someone who would be able, perhaps, be most useful as a priest uh, in a seminary teaching theology to uh, to seminarians. And so uh, he was um, sent by the Catholic Church to Europe uh, to, uh, to work on... Uh, uh, advanced studies. He got a PhD in theology and then returned to Latin America to uh, teach in seminary. And uh, since there was a shortage of priests um, in, in the country, um, in addition to teaching seminary, he had a, in addition to his day job, he had a weekend job, which was to go out into uh, a parish and, you know, function as a, as a parish priest and one of the things that he did was he uh, tried to create groups that would gather together to, to study the Bible. And uh, these groups became known as ecclesial-based communities or church-based church communities. There were small groups of, say, 15 to 25 people who gathered around uh, to study the Bible. And they would... Um, take a passage of scripture and read it. And then they would talk about, well, what does this mean to us in our time and in our context? And uh, these were people who were living in just um, abject poverty, just, uh, just terrible poverty. Uh, they were marginalized. Um, they were living in, in sort of huts, um, small, ramshackle uh, huts uh, all crowded together, say, on the side of a mountain, on the outskirts of a, of, of a city. And so whenever they got together, they'd start talking about what was happening, about how someone's um, baby died because of, of uh, uh, diarrhea or, you know, someone's uh, child uh, got sick or someone got sick. And a lot of times this was because of, uh, it was caused the, the illness and disease was caused by factors that could be controlled for. So, for mm -hmm. example, open sores or uh, that type of thing. And so they began to apply the Bible to their own context. And out of this developed this, uh, this understanding that God, God is a God of, of liberation, that the good news of the New Testament, of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that Jesus comes to liberate us to liberate us not only from sin um, and death, but also to liberate us in other ways, because God intends for all of God's children to live uh, full and um, happy and satisfactory lives that flourish because we have the resources that we need uh, in order to take care of our children and provide for our fam families and, you know, all, all of the things that it just takes in order to, to live a life that is filled with human dignity and autonomy, and um, so this was um, this was a, a new way of thinking about the gospel. Uh, historically, uh, the church had emphasized um, so much uh, a liberation from sin, understood as forgiveness of sin, and and liberation from death as uh, life everlasting. Um, 
And so the, the, the methodological approach was different, too. In, in sort of classic theology, you begin with theory. You develop mm-hmm. all of the doctrines. And then you say, well, what, does these, what are these doctrines, um, uh, what, what are these doctrines uh, imply for our ethical behavior? Mm-hmm. Uh, in liberation theology, they sort of turned that on, on its head uh, and developed uh, what they called, uh, liberation theologians called um, the hermeneutical uh, circle. But it begins with uh, praxis or, or doing mm-hmm. and then moves to uh, criticism, uh, like why are things going wrong in okay. the case of Latin America? So we want to, we want to um, do, we want to figure out a way to get the government to provide uh, clean drinking water for everybody in, in our, in our, in our neighborhood. And then criticism about why that's not happening and maybe why the church is actually enabling that. And, and then moving from there to sort of the, the, the classic Christian theology. Right. And do, like what do, does this say about God on a meta level? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and then you return back to, to doing more, to more practice. And then it's, so it's a circle in, in that sense. So, um, in addition to uh, Gutierrez, there were uh, a number of other uh, Latin American uh, theologians, both Catholic and Protestant, uh, who uh, worked in using this liberationist uh, um, method and model. Uh, Miguel Bonino uh, was a Protestant, um, one of the um, liberation theologians who's been most influential for me is uh, Leonardo Boff. Um, so as this theology became, um, began to be translated into English and other languages, other strands developed besides Latin America. Mm-hmm. So you had feminist theology and African-American liberation theology and Bujarista um, liberation theology, which is uh, uh, Latina feminist uh, theology. You had, uh, a, a strand that came out of, of Asia, out of Korea, and out of another strand out of Africa. Mm-hmm. And so now it's a multi-stranded uh, f- type of theology mm-hmm. uh, or approach to approach to theology, maybe method or mo- a model for doing theology is, is better mm-hmm. uh, to say. But, um, but I, th- I think queer theology is just sort of a, a, a new strand in this multi... A new outgrowth. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one, of the, one of the core principles of liberation theology is that it should come from the people, mm-hmm. that it should grow out of the people and, and not out of the academy. And so when it grows out of the people, then the, the role of the professional theologian like a Gustavo Gutierrez or Miguel Bonino or, 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 or someone else is to become an interpreter um, sort of translating from the people to the academy mm-hmm. uh, instead of from the academy to the people. Right. Uh, so everything's sort of, um, and I found it for it very uh, helpful for my own faith and for my own call to ministry and um, and then for my own on ministry after I was, I was ordained. Yeah, and so as you described that and talked about, you know, how kind of the, the, the process is reversed in terms of this is a, a way of looking at the world that comes from, you know, the grassroots, if you will, comes mm-hmm. from the ground. I think um, I hadn't given a lot of thought before, but in a way it's, it's doing, you know, exactly how M described their website, you know, in flesh. She said, you know, it's, they said it's putting flesh 
back on theology because if it doesn't have something to say about here and now, you know, justice and mercy in our lives here and now, right. then why are we talking about it? That's right. Um, so this is the time we don't talk about it. <laughs> well, yeah, well, we don't. Um, so yeah, I think that's really, um, it, it's good to have that background in terms of the um, sort of some of the parent traditions perhaps uh, of, of queer theology. And one of the books that I'm recommended um, to read is called Queer Virtue. And it's, it's one that I've started reading. I have not gotten through it yet. Um, how, but um, I pulled up some of my notes from it, things that I thought were um, important, you know, good definitions. Mm-hmm. And um, as a way of, and I, I think what this book so far um, in my reading does a really good job of is pointing out that Christianity in a way, um, or Christians have been, you know, queering, um, you know, boundaries um, since since the beginning uh, of our tradition. Um, one quote from, from the book says that, um, it's talking about a, a passage um, of scripture that Paul wrote. It says that his insistence that in Christ there is neither male nor female is the essence of queering, set in the midst of a passage that also queers the lines between Jew and Greek, slave and free. So Paul's writing a letter to a church and he's saying, you know, stop dividing into these little factions and focusing on all your differences and right. saying who's better than the other. You know, there's neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. And so the author here is pointing to that as a way in which um, from the very beginning, Christians have been been queering um, those divisions that in societies we want to, to hold up um, as, as separating us. And the author also says that they mean queer is something that has at its center an impulse to disrupt any and all efforts to reduce into simplistic dualisms our experience of life and of God. Um, which I think um, is really what M articulated to that kind of definition. Right. Um, and as they talk, it talked about um, just kind of a, a more um, sociological background on our use of the term queer today, because it's been derogatory in the past. Um, the, the reclaiming by the, com- the LGBTQ plus community of the word, um, just really how, queer is used to disrupt the binary, um, I think. And what do you mean by binary? So binary meaning uh, in terms of gender, like male or female, um, you know, to say, to to queer that is to recognize that gender is a spectrum and people are non-binary. To queer sexuality is to say there's not just, um, you know, being straight. Um, There's being, being gay and lesbian and bi and pan. Um, and all these other identities and to say, right. you know, stop setting up this, uh, these, these dualisms that are either or mm-hmm. let's recognize and appreciate the full spectrum of identities and ways of being in the world. Right now, uh, Beth, you're a millennial. I'm a, I'm a baby boomer. As you like to point uh, out. Um, yes. And uh, we could, we, we have two contextual different perspectives. I think, you know, growing up in the 1960s, there was a lot of talk about a, a sexual revolution where mm-hmm. a lot of the old the old standards were, for better or for worse, torn down. I think well, what strikes me right now is that we're going through maybe another sexual revolution in our society uh, where we're trying to create space for 
uh, different ways of of uh, identifying sexually mm-hmm. and uh, thinking about about sexuality and about about how that can be expressed. And um, I, that's just an observation I, I wanted to make in terms of this uh, transformation of the term queer from a very derogatory thing to now being uh, taken on as a, a way of talking about a pr- particular uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. So um, I uh, I think this has been a really in- interesting conversation today. Uh, mm-hmm. I wish we had more time to uh, to go even further. Uh, our time's running out, though, uh, so we'll have to come back to this on on another Saturday. Uh, we've uh, we've just gotten back into town last night. Uh, we did. You want to tell our listeners where we've been, and then a little bit about uh, the show uh, next week. Yeah. So we got back about one thirty in the morning today. From Puerto Rico, we were in San Juan for almost two weeks, um, That's right. rebuilding houses that were damaged in Hurricane Maria. Um, so we spent some time uh, on roofs, uh, painting, uh, cleaning, cleaning bathrooms, doing all kinds of things. Right. Uh, so, and we are glad to be back, uh, back to Lincoln, back here at KZUM this week. Um, it was a great trip. I think. I think we learned a lot and gained a better appreciation for our Puerto Rican uh, well, the siblings and the, and the struggles yeah, that they're going through. Absolutely. Um, and in the amazing things that they have to offer too. That's right. Um, so yeah, we're, we're glad to be back. Uh, and then Richard is going to turn around first to head on another trip with our youth to Omaha to help in the big garden. That's Monday and Tuesday. Monday and Tuesday. It should be exciting. And then he's on vacation. So next week I am going to be here Um running the show. I, I believe I will, you know, I'll have a guest, uh, one of my good friends, Lily, and um, we're going to talk about feminist theology. And I think um, while we were on the trip, one of our uh, members of our team raised an important uh, question about why do we have to label these different theology? Why does it have to be feminist theology or queer theology? Doesn't that imply that it's like abnormal or not just theology. And that's a really good question that I hoped we might have time for today, um, but we clearly don't. So we're going to talk about that a little next week. Why bother to name um, these different perspectives? Um, And specifically, we're going to talk a little bit more about a feminist. I'm going to talk a little bit more. (laughs) Richard's reminding me. He's he's not going to be here. Best feminist um, manifesto, he says. Yes. Yes. We're going to talk more about that next week. I hope that you'll tune in. Um, It's been a pleasure to be with you here this morning on KZUM. Have a wonderful Saturday and a great week.